welcome to part two. <laughs> uh, welcome to part two. <laughs> so we watched two movies, two period pieces yet again. Yet again. Oh my. Oh but this time, two period pieces from the 80s when people didn't know how to make period pieces yet. What are you talking <laughs> no, about? That's a, that's a joke. Don't get your panties in a bunch. Don't be a negative Nancy. <laughs> that's a new t-shirt coming. <laughs> Great. Uh, I'm just trying to pitch t-shirts now. It's not even a show about uh, anything else. <laughs> no. Um, Okay, so we watched uh, two movies. Uh, the first we're going to talk about the first one, uh, Babette's Feast, uh, or as it's known in Danish, Daniel, uh, Babette's Gestebud, which is a really mm. weird title. I've been I've been sort of wrapping my head around this title. Why because, is that? Because it's a very okay. So when you hear the English title Babette's Feast, you would think that the Danish title would be something like Babette's Middag or which basically is dinner or festive meal. So, All right. But guestibul is kind of a weird old-timey way of saying invitation. Okay. So what because, does the word guestibul mean? So if you se. wanted to translate it directly, it's like geste and bul. So geste is guest. Yeah. And bul is to summon someone, you know, to, to call for someone to come. So... It's like guest summoning. It's like you have now been summoned to be guest at this person's feast, at Babette's feast. So invitation, I would probably translate it at, as because you know. Hmm. I don't know. It's just, okay, well, that's interesting. Okay. But I th- but I think it's a sort of relic of the fact that it's uh it's an adaptation of an old, I think it was a novella. I don't think it was a full novel. Yeah, by uh by Karen Blixen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was a short story published in like a booklet of short stories. Okay. Um, it was actually published for the first time in America, but we'll get to that. Um, so, uh, quick uh, plot rundown slash um, general information. So, Babette's Feast was a, it's a movie from 1987, directed by Gabriel Axel. His first Danish movie, actually. We'll get to that. Um written the screenplay was written by Gabriel Axel based on a short story by Karen Blixen famous uh, uh duchess of Denmark or whatever she called herself um <laughs> uh and uh yeah so what is this story about what is this babette's feast that daniel keeps quandering himself about he can't sleep at night thinking about this stuff uh so the story it's actually <laughs> i was afraid for a second that the movie was going to be french <laughs> <laughs> like because of yeah so the story follows uh uh two protestant sisters that uh, live together in the sort of protestant commune uh in a remote region of denmark i think in the books it's supposed to be norway actually yeah it's supposed to be a and, small town in norway and in denmark it's in jutland yeah and they filmed it in north the north yes. in north jutland whatever yeah yes. and uh so these two Protestant ladies, in I guess in the fiction of the whatever they, they live in a village in in Norway, which is at the time part of the kingdom of that whatever, and the the two sisters Martine and uh, Philippa. So they live in this Protestant village, very remote. There's like four houses in total or something, and uh, they have this uh, maid, I guess, 
uh, and her name is Babette. She's French. She's a French refugee because at the time France was engulfed in a civil war and uh, a lot of people needed to say, seek refuge and they kind of sort of adopted her in a way. And basically she works at a servant, but they don't really need a servant, but she stays with them anyway kind of thing. Um, so the whole thing about these two sisters is that they have a past, Daniel, you see. Uh, so their 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 father was sort of the major patriarch of this sect of the of the Lutheran Church of Denmark. So they, they being the patriarch and having two very beautiful daughters when they were young, they still look pretty good when they're old. Whatever. Um, so having these two beautiful daughters, a lot of suitors would come by to sort of try to get their his daughter's hands in marriage, and. Uh, Two of the, two of these people get highlighted in the movie in flashbacks. You have uh, General Lawrence Lowenheim. <laughs> He's a Swedish general. He's played by uh, uh, Jarl Kuhl, who's a famous Swedish actor, mainly famous from Ig Igmar Bergman movies. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, then you have a suit, and uh, she's uh, sort of going for. Uh, I forget which one of the sisters. Uh, <laughs> the one that doesn't sing, the other one. <laughs> mm. She goes for the one who doesn't sing. Uh, and uh, she get he gets rebuffed by her dad. And then the other suitor for uh, for the one that sings, I think that's Philippa. I want to say it's Philippa. I might be wrong. Anyway, so the one for Philippa is a, is a French uh, uh, theater opera, opera singer, right? Named... Uh, Ashley Papin, Ashley Papin, whatever. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, and he's the best character in the movie. Uh, but anyway, and uh, he's like using the pretext for sort of teaching uh, this this young Lutheran girl lessons in a uh, in opera singing to sort of get close to her or whatever. And uh, and basically, her father rejects him as a suitor. And then the, this connection comes back when uh, when it's because he's actually Papin is French, obviously. So when the civil war happens in France, the two ladies are old and he asks for them as sort of old acquaintances living in Denmark to give asylum to Babette, who's a acquaintance of Achille. Mm. And that's how the movie starts. And essentially the 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 movie kind of I don't want to say climaxes because it sounds sexual and there's nothing sexual about this movie. Um, I want like the movie uh, crescendos. There you go to uh, the uh, the 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 feast that Babette gives as a sign of recognition for the 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 sect, the the Lutheran sect who came to accept her, especially the the two ladies who are now old ladies. And the feast basically occupies the last half hour of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's a good plot synopsis right there. Um, yeah, Daniel, what did you think of the movie overall? You saw it for the first time yesterday? Yes. All right, what did you think about it? I enjoyed it. It was... So, <laughs> I was watching it whilst I was writing my uh, my exam paper. Memoirs. And, oh. it, and it was a very easy movie to just have running in and watch and write at the same time so you could very easily like write a little bit and just sit and watch it uh okay yeah 
I genuinely Have you heard of this movie before? Yes, but I had actually heard from it from a Swedish person. That mm. so I was talking to a Swedish person about actually this podcast, ah. and mm. she mentioned that the only Danish movie she'd ever watched was Babette's Feast, and I was like, I don't know that movie. <laughs> so well, yeah, now she can uh, you know, yeah, listen to our opinions on it. Indeed. But yeah, and I actually buy the merch. <laughs> And buy the merch whenever that comes out, which is never. Uh, but yeah, I, I generally enjoyed this movie. It was a it was a very calm movie to watch in a way, okay. and the food porn was great. Okay, uh, time to get into. I'm gonna get to my general perspective on the movie in the end, but I'm, I want to go through some of my notes. Uh, by the way, I watched the Criterion version, so I have a lot of notes from the. I just want to say I really enjoyed the Criterion uh, extra material, mm. just to get me acquainted with some of the aspects of the how the movie got made. Uh, okay. So here, the narration feels very awkward and out of place. Yeah. The then the the thing is there's a so. This was obviously adapted from a written story, mm. like a narrative, a classic narrative story, like probably third person type thing, yeah. where they couldn't figure out how to incorporate that into a dialogue thing. So they just had somebody who isn't even a character on screen, is just the narrator, narrate just small interludes that explain small things in the story. Yeah. And I thought That's it read odd. like a it read like a weird documentary. <laughs> Like I'm watching a, a documentary about the Lutheran sect. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I, at some I, point I caught some glimp- glimpses on TV2 or something of a documentary. I think it was a nature documentary. And I probably. swear to God it was the same voice. I like It probably wasn't, but it sounded exactly the same. Like this very monotone type like... Doo, 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 doo. Yeah. It's 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 crazy. It's It felt like I'm watching like a recreation documentary about like a Lutheran sect. It was surreal. Yeah, I don't think the that voice, was the intention. The voice, funnily enough, is uh, Gita Nørby, one of uh, Denmark's most celebrated actresses. Is she like a celebrated voice actress or an actual actress? No, no, not no, that. Actual, not actual. that voice actors are not actual actors. No, no, no. You know, live action actress. Okay. All right. I mean, okay. She's still cool. alive. <laughs> Unlike most people in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because she wasn't on screen. That's why she's alive. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I wrote. This is not really a note about the movie, but it's. I wrote kind of crazy how widespread the French language was at that time. So this was a nineteenth century. Yeah. Yeah. It was eighteen something. Eighteen seventy. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, like it's crazy. Like especially in the beginning, when you don't expect it. Like the priest. The, mm-hmm. the the patriarch of the Lutheran clan, whatever, when he first talked talks to Papang, Papang, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna call him Papang, uh, the 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 opera singer, like, yeah. and they speak French to each other, like, whoa, you know, because you forget, you just don't expect expect it to happen, and when it does, like, oh my god, like French was such a thing, it's crazy, because it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> well, we do actually have uh, French in school. You can pick we between... also do, but it's it's the third language, you know. Yeah. Same here. 
So it's like the one that you pay the less attention to. Yeah. Is it is it, wait is if is French uh, optional between German and French? Uh, yeah, German, Spanish, and French are like the three okay. languages you can pick up. But it's different from school to school what languages they actually like have. So yeah, some I know it's the same have, in Romania. Yeah. Some school may have. Like they will only has ger- have German because because it depends on what teachers you have available. Essentially. Yeah, and then they might have Spanish or they might have French. Yeah, my my school had German and French. Uh, my yeah, same with uh, my school. And I did French actually, and I was very oh, bad I, at it. I did German, and I was also really bad at it. <laughs> I kind of regret it because I I I watched a lot of French movies in the last couple of years and. Mm-hmm. I kind of grew to appreciate it as a language. Yeah. It's very beautiful. You know. Um, anyway, so, yeah, kind of crazy how that... So, I wrote Papang is a great. He's very flamboyant. He's a mm. he's a stage actor. He's very... Like, he, even when he does practices with one of the Protestant girls, he, uh, mm. he sings very... Whatever, like, very, very bombastic. I loved it. Loved it. Because the rest of the movie is so low-key. Like when he comes in, he's just he's like a bomb on screen. It's great. Mm. Uh, he can make some crazy eyes when he's doing some of his baritone. Like, oh, like his eyes bulge out of his skull. It's great. Um, mm. Although he is kind of a creep. <laughs> Wrote down. Uh, like he does a thing where he's supposedly, I guess, massaging uh, the girl's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, chest? You do that when you when you try to like uh, make your vocals sound better, but it's kind of sexual and weird and creepy and you know, it's not yeah. cool. Yeah. But I guess it was supposed to be uh, cool, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I'm getting that from the movie that that wasn't supposed to be creepy, mm. but it felt creepy in hindsight. Yeah. Also, it's funny when we get to what kind of movies this guy directed before. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it, uh, that was, like, the worst moment in the movie. And that's mm. saying something because it's a short moment. But, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, like, uh, I wrote, like, uh, speaking of pacing, there's this pacing issue where the flashback or the flashbacks. Well, there's only one, so the flashback, I guess. The flashback was so long mm. that I thought that was the movie. <laughs> yeah. To the point where it comes back, it's like, oh my God. Oh, this is the movie. Like, I even checked on IMDb. Mm. Like, is one of them, I thought, because it was so long, I got confused and I thought one of the Lutheran girls was going to be Babette. Because, oh. I well, I thought this is the movie because it was like 20 minutes of flashback, you know? Yeah. And I thought I, I, I wasn't going to really have a problem with it, per se. It's just like I just generally thought this was going to be the movie. <laughs> yeah. But then it cuts back to present to old ladies when Babette comes comes in as a refugee. Yeah. Okay, fine. It's just flashbacks could have been shorter, definitely. And then the last half hour is just making dinner, eating dinner. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, It took me... Three rewinds <laughs> to figure out that that was Papang who wrote the letter and not the general. 
because <laughs> the present day Papang, who's in France, like they cut to him writing the letter that the two old ladies are re reading because Babette brought it with her. Yeah. And uh, they cut to him writing it. And the problem is he has a mustache and the general has a mustache. And I was like, wait, what is happening? Who is this? <laughs> I thought it was the general. And then as the story progressed a bit, like 10 minutes after that, I was like, no, this doesn't make any sense. Wait, let me check again. <laughs> no, it kind of looks like the general. And then I went a bit like 10 more minutes in the story. I was like, you know what? This still doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and then I rewatched the scene. like, you know what? I think this is... <laughs> I, I think, think this is Papang. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much it was that the movie's fault or me just being dumb, but it's like mustache. Mustache made me think of the general directly, and old Papang has a mustache, and young Papang didn't have a mustache. That's ah. <laughs> oh, the the poster shot looks great. So there, the you know the poster of the movie is uh, actually a shot from the movie where uh, Babette is. I think it's her first uh, couple of days when she's acquainting herself with this weird Protestant village and she's sitting by a field and the sun is slowly setting down. It's awesome. It's a really good yeah. shot. Holy shit. Really like great shot. Ah. Mm. <laughs> uh, I actually wrote... Ah. Make notes. Uh, wrote down, the congregation is a bunch of senile old people. So the congregation yeah. at this point it's established that it was it was big when their father was alive but yeah. now a lot of people either died or left or age or are just old people still in the congregation so it's a, a very small group now led by the two daughters and uh they kind of have a problem keeping everybody in check because a lot of small grievances start to flourish you know like people yep. like these Crazy old people are just accusing each other of stupid trivial shit. Like, ah, oh, you stole money from me 400 years ago. It's like, oh, we you we had an affair and I left my husband. And it's it's very... Yeah. I'm not sure if this was played for laughs or not, but it felt very uh, comical. I don't know. I laughed when, the two, when the two old people are like, you took me when I was young and then you never married me. I'm like, oh, for hell. It's like, well, it's, it's been interesting when... Uh, because in the in the um, I don't remember who it was. I think the lead actress, uh, mm -hmm. Stéphane Audron, who plays Babette, uh, she she there's an interview with her. She she's unfortunately passed away in 2018, but there's a an interview with her on the Criterion features, and mm -hmm. uh, she says that the whole idea was to portray these Lutheran like in a non in a non judgmental way. I don't, that didn't really come across to me that way. <laughs> it came, it came across to me very farcical, like a, like they're a yeah. joke kind of. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Know about that? It's a but then again, Stephen, we are cynical people. I guess we're assholes. Uh, yeah. The scene where Baba. Oh yeah. Uh, so the scene where there's a scene where Babette goes uh, by the sea and sees a seagull and comes back. Mm -hmm. That scene was beautiful. It's like it, it's a yeah. uh, so at some point Babette gets a, a winning lottery ticket from France because somebody was kept buying tickets for her. Yeah, she you has know? she has a lottery ticket that her friend I guess keeps re betting on or whatever. Yeah, renewing. And she wins. Yeah. yeah, she wins a bunch of uh, of francs, 
10,000 uh, francs. 10,000 francs. And uh, she goes by the 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 seashore and uh, looks at the sea and mm. go, comes back. That I think that scene was great because it contemplates, it shows her thinking about what she's going to do. Mm. It's like, ah, character's thinking. Hello. Um, and that's when she has the idea for the dinner. Yeah, and actually, funny fun fact is, Audron uh, uh, talks about it in her interview. That's a scene she she wanted to put in the movie. It wasn't in the original script. Oh. Yeah, she had the idea of putting that scene in the movie. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, rope turtle. <laughs> yes, the, tur- the oh turtle. Oh my god. Uh, it's like a sheep. So she decides to have this feast and brings in all this shit from France with all the money that she has. Uh, imports a bunch of stuff, right? Like wine and uh, and the uh, quail and live quail, by the way, in a little yes. cage, and the live turtle. <laughs> that shot of the that shot of like the old man staring as the caravan of like food comes along and you just see a turtle and it's just oh. Oh my god, ah, and I love the two actresses, uh, uh, I shouldn't name them, so it's uh, it's Bodil Kier, and, Kier. Uh, yep. and uh, Birgitte uh, uh, Fedespier, Fedespier? Mm-hmm. Yep. yes, uh, so the two lead actresses, they're very, the two, the two elder ladies, uh, they're, they're very good with their facial expressions, like they, yep. they're gold, so they, <laughs> when one of them sees the turtle, like it's a live turtle sitting on a on a on a on a table mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like doing like eraser head style noise like <laughs> oh my god it was priceless oh it's like and the, then it's, it's like my favorite bit in the entire movie yeah it was great my favorite bit though is the aftermath when one of them has turtle nightmares <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> when they do yeah. the soup, the 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 double exposure thing, where they have like mm-hmm. a some footage of blood or something, or li- or red yeah. liquid spewing, and then they they superimpose a babette on top of it because it's yeah. obviously it's the eighties, so it's but it, it looks like a it looks like a dingy seventies effect, like oh she's gonna bring satanic food. <laughs> ah, it's beautiful. It's I wrote down yeah. this is what Danish people see when they hear for about foreigners. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's a joke, but Eternal Nightmares were great. Like I wrote old school effects, love them. Oh, so much. Uh <laughs> a man who says hallelujah all the time is great. Like there's one yeah. of the Lutheran uh, congregation people, old man who says who only says hallelujah. It was great. I don't know. Uh, da, da, da. Dead quail, baby cow head, and chicken heads. Oh my yep. goodness. The French oh are goodness. crazy. Indeed. <laughs> like they really played out the the concept of the, of the foreign element, even though like, these are not really ingredients that are foreign. Like calves are, are Danish. Like the... Yeah. I guess the turtle is the only thing that's... And there's a there's a the there's a pineapple. Are there no pineapple. quails in Denmark? I don't think so. I don't think we have quails. Feels like a pretty common animal, quail. Yeah. Yeah, but I go Dick along. Cheney, Dick Cheney Dick Cheney shot somebody while he was trying to shoot a quail. 
did you know about that? <laughs> yeah, but Dick Cheney is not Danish, so <laughs> as that we know of. Okay, so that we know. Um, uh, I wrote, I'm at the one hour and ten minute mark, and I'm getting quite hungry. Yep. <laughs> Like you see a, a lot of montages of uh, Babette preparing this feast, and it was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I want to eat so bad." <laughs> yeah. There's this. Sh there's a shot of uh, of uh, General General Lawrence putting on his monocle, and I thought, "Do these things just stick, or do you have to just scrunch your face to keep the monocle in? Like, how does that work?" You, I think you have to scrunch your face. Oh my god, that's horrible. Mm. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, poor him. Uh, <laughs> uh so the feast starts and uh there's a lot of booze and the yeah. they, she uh, she has like townsfolk who act as like her little servants like there's one guy who just sits there and eats table scraps and the uh, one like a younger kid uh with uh, red hair very Danish, uh, who uh, brings a lot of the stuff in for the guests. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, one of the ladies of the congregation comments about the champagne. It must be some sort of lemonade. <laughs> uh, that was very funny. Uh, so apparently we do have quail in Denmark. Come on, everybody has quail. We just don't have a lot of them. Gotta take care of your quail, man. Yeah. Don't don't quench the quail. Wait, does that make sense? Uh, anyway, I'm trying to make a T-shirt out of it. <laughs> uh, so this is some next level cooking. So she spritz some shit into the pan and then sets it on fire. I can barely make a sandwich. <laughs> it's made me feel bad in a way. Like, oh my god, why are you so good at this? God damn it. Like she's like setting shit on fire? Are you crazy? You want to burn that? You never flambéed stuff, Steven? Have I never? What is the what? What kind of question are you asking me, Daniel? Of course I never flambéed you. I never set shit on fire in my house. What am I crazy? One, the oven is electric. Two, <laughs> I would never do it, even if it wasn't. Fair enough. Uh, they should spring for a better uh oven for Babette. I mean, really. Uh, I mean. The, the, one of Babette's uh, aides, the one with the beard that I talked about, mm -hmm. uh, keeps getting table scraps uh, and uh, like he just like has like these very cool facial expressions and just like says, he only says, Dear, I didn't go. Mm. <laughs> oh, he just gets drunk. Oh. Uh, so, I guess that's about it with the notes about the movie. So, time for my general shtick. Um, look, I thought this movie was <laughs> the best movie we watched in terms of Danish movies. Yeah. I loved it. I teared Great. up during it oh multiple times. And uh, I thought, so in my opinion, I want to talk about the ending. So. Yes. Uh, uh, I think what I think the ending is about is how people who, who have lost their pre-established worth in the world discover their intrinsic value through friendship. Yeah. 
So basically, the two the two Lutheran women and Babette have sort of similar backgrounds, where one they like they had uh, these lovers who they wanted to also have a life with, and then their father stifled their relationships, in in mm. in a and kept them sort of isolated in the congregation and sort of stopped their potential to be something else. Like one of them was potentially going to be an opera singer or something. Um, and yeah. uh, Babette turns out was a huge cook in France at the Saint Anglise or something. Um, and uh, she was like a famous cook. And uh, because of the civil war, her whole life got blown up. And uh, so she got, she lost her, potential essentially well her and she opportunity got her like her the thing that gave her value essentially yeah and she this, this she says that the dinner was more for her than for everybody else because she needed to find the value in what she was doing again you know mm. like the, the like people who are artists they who are whatever true artists not these hacks today um, like us we're a bunch of hacks especially we're all hacks. Uh, <laughs> uh but no like a tr- i don't want to say true artists but like people who genuinely enjoy art like do get an actual kick out of doing the thing that they love and not just a, a monetary value but actual a spiritual mm-hmm. value and this is what the end is about it's like i see she yeah. spends all her money on the dinner all the yeah, yeah. all the it- francs that she won it's it's revealed at the end that she spent all those ten thousand francs on the dinner because that was what a dinner usually cost apparently. Which is apparently the... historically accurate. Apparently, yeah. Like the the restaurant did exist in mm-hmm. France, and meals at that restaurant did cost up to ten thousand francs. I mean, it was also some dinner, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, uh, so I wrote down. Uh, I thought the movie. Had an excellent second half, especially. Uh-huh. Again, I had my problems with the flashback, but yeah. the second half was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was v- very moving, emotionally speaking. Uh, so the last scene, like you said, the dinner scene is like forty minutes or so. Yeah, basically. But it was all worth it. Like it was the best part of the movie, you know. So mm-hmm. you you could have had even more of it. I didn't, I wouldn't have mind. Uh, yeah. so what you're watching is people eating, but what you're actually watching is Babette performing her craft, right? Her, yeah, like the thing she is the best at. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am a big fan of cinematography, so that's why probably I liked the movie that much because I thought mm-hmm. the cinematography was so purposeful, like little touches here and there that I thought were brilliant. Like, the color palette is muted, like a lot of yeah. earthly tones. Uh, and actually, it pops up a bit when uh, when when the food gets introduced. Like, you have some reds there and some greens, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the rest is usually bluish, blue-gray kind of thing. Uh, so, da-da-da. yeah, no, I, I think the movie is brilliant. I, I, I totally understand why it's a criterion uh, selection. Like, uh, a little comment on the cinematography, actually. I noticed sure. that the the scene you were talking about with the poster scene, where she's yeah. sitting in the field and the sun is going down, that was like 
that was like one of the few moments where like the color really popped and then when it then comes back to the food and the color like gets more vibrant and such that that to me felt like a really good link between like because the two sisters say at the end that basically that she is a true artist and when she dies she will she will make dinners for the angels or something like that yeah and that to me felt like a really good link between like the divine and her her skill of her like artistry yeah it's almost like her artistry is like divine in nature right yeah yeah even though i'm not a i'm not at all a religious person i like when uh themes like this are approached in a way that's not ham-fisted you know like you said uh, naming shit from the bible like uh, jonathan nolan does (laughs) uh like yeah you you can just like obviously these people are religious zealots i'm not talking about Mm -hmm. but the congregation right yeah and probably in a more realistic modern context they would be a bunch of assholes (laughs) i mean they do they do like treat babette and look at her like "Mm." yeah but what she brings she brings a a warmth with her gift that yeah. basically helps everybody cope with their issues and like tightens the community around her it's yeah. like that's it's basically a, a a message about what the artist's role is in a society like people see artists as these decrepit assholes who don't do anything productive and just mm. make shit and then yeah. make money off of it but I think artists, and this movie is an example of this, artists have a role in society of bringing society together because they present a warm voice to society, you know? Yeah. Like, the ability of a storyteller, and Babette Brewer Food is essentially a storyteller because the food has an incredible story to it, right? But through her storytelling, she essentially brings a message of warmness to the community and uh, and togetherness that Mm. sort of brings everybody back together and i think that's what and and i guess a storyteller if you don't want to call an artist that's what a storyteller does you know is put everything back into perspective for everybody because we all get sidetracked by all all our stupid grievances that in the end don't matter Mm. yeah no i yeah i love it (laughs) so i want to talk about some of the criterion things Go ahead. So uh, there's a couple of informatory stuff like uh, how uh, French cuisine was on the top of the food chain, so to speak. Like it was the most known. It was the it was the first cuisine per se. You know, like the first the the first cookbook was published in France, mm. and uh, it was pretty much the top from the 17th to the 19th century. So it was the top cuisine in Europe. Yeah. Uh. So this is from a a featurette on the on the Criterion release where a sociologic sociologist talks about the sort of food aspect in the movie. So she calls Babette an artist of of the everyday. So she's like mm. a yeah. So she's a cook, which is a I guess common enough profession. And through like she's an artist of the everyday, as in she's sort of a she's not an an upper class artist you know she she performs her art like almost like think of like a graffiti artist i guess 
Well, I, I would rather read the artist of the everyday is that she is an artist of a thing that is more everyday. So sure. cooking yeah. is something people do every day. Yeah, well so, said. But she, but she has elevated that everyday skill to an art form. Uh, one thing that apparently wasn't historical ac historically accurate is that Babette would be a cook at all. Because at the time, the unions in France for the cooks were only male. So you couldn't be a cook if you were a lady. At well, they do, also, they do actually sort of hint at that when they revealed that Babette was actually a cook at this place. That the general who was at the, at the feast uh, says that he used to eat at this restaurant and that they had a female cook. Like it was worth mentioning they had a female cook. Yeah. But I'm saying it's not. I'm just saying it's not historically accurate. Yeah, <laughs> it's mentioned in the fucking features, okay? So apparently, uh, French audiences cried at the movie okay. because uh, uh, a lot of the like in comparison, a lot of the American audiences and the Scandinavian audiences kind of just laughed, like they saw it more as a comedy. Whereas French audiences cried their eyes off because they see food as nostalgia in the movie. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. You know, like sort of Babette is expressing her nostalgia over her yeah, country. Right? Mm. So obviously French people understand that connection more than stupid Americans. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, why don't you just buy a cheeseburger? <laughs> Uh, so Karen Blixen or as she was known under her many pseudonyms so she was uh, Isaac Dinesen when she, yeah. oh, this is the name under which she wrote this story yeah and it's apparently also a name that has persisted in like foreign markets yeah okay. she apparently. wrote in uh, in America That's that was her pseudonym yeah and she had different synonyms. She had Tanya Blixen and then uh, Pierre Andre Andrezel and uh, other ones. Mm -hmm. So there's a documentary. I, I I assume it's a Danish documentary because they 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 have Danish subtitles for all the English lines in the <laughs> documentary, uh, and it looks old. Um, not that Danish documentaries are old. It's just it's you you know what I mean. Um, well, the movie's from the '80s, so. Yeah, but the features are new, except for the documentary. Yeah. Um, so the documentary is probably a Danish documentary. It's about Karen Blixen, specifically. Mm -hmm. So I wrote, what does Daniel think of her? What do you think of Karen Blixen? Well, she is very much a figure you learn a lot about in school. I imagine so. So I think I've read some of her short stories in school. I wouldn't be able to tell you which one. I might have even read this one. I don't know. Uh, and so I her most popular works are Out of Africa, which is a autobiography and a, yeah. a collection of short story called uh, Seven Gothic Tales. Yeah, and in in Danish class we would have most likely read from one of those short stories. We didn't read Out of Africa. We saw the movie Out of Africa. Well, it was Meryl uh, Streep. With Meryl Streep, yes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, she's the one she's where very... she does a terrible Danish accent. Oh yeah, oh boy. <laughs> uh, 
she she is very much a character you learn about in in school mostly but she's not a, an author i have sort of seeked out afterwards personally. okay but what is your opinion what is your opinion of her as a person like what do you think I of her i don't know much of her about as a person i don't know much well, about her outside of the out of africa thing and that's been years since i've watched that so i learned from the documentary that well the whole out of africa thing is that she spent uh, a good chunk of her life i think it was 15 years in africa yeah where she had a farm yeah she had a coffee farm yeah but the thing is she also owned slaves <laughs> yep so and she, you know she had like that like white person's perspective on having slaves like oh they were like you know like i cared so much about my servants like oh my god mm. fuck you like, I still don't like people who own slaves or have owned slaves. So, I mean, she can go fuck herself for that. Um, I, and there's a lot of interview footage of her. Like, she was a very vain person. Like, she liked to be yeah. called the Baroness during interviews. Yeah. That's crazy. I think she did actually own a, a like, like, she was an actual Baroness, I think. Yeah, but. But, you know. Get your head out of your ass, lady. I mean, she's... Yeah, she's a very sort of larger-than-life character in a way. But I guess. And, yeah. She also wanted to and got to meet Merlin Monroe. So there's that. There's that? Uh, there's a funny thing where... Um, so, uh, photographer Peter Bird was 23 at the time when he met uh, Karen Blixen in her final final year alive so that's 1962 mm -hmm. and uh, he was a big fan of her and actually bought like a hut in Africa next to where her her plantation was okay. uh, anyway and uh, she he he phot photographed her in her last days alive and she looked like a corpse right yeah. and, uh, and I think those also photos are, I think those photos are like the most known photos of Karen Blixen Probably, and uh, he he's interviewed for the for the features for the Criterion features, oh. and because uh, he's still alive, um, and uh, <laughs> he has a collection of uh, you know photograph like he's a pho professional photograph, right? So he has a bunch of stuff, and uh, he says like, oh, I just watched Babette's feast last night in preparation for this interview, and uh, actually I was thinking those those quail heads. From the from the sarcophagus or whatever the fuck it was called dish. Yeah, the sarcophagus of quail. Yeah, those skulls look like a look like a Karen's head. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like an underhanded He's, dish or something? He said that. He said oh that. God. Okay. <laughs> Carl Blixen is like sitting on a cloud somewhere, going, "You want me? <laughs> I'm a baroness, bitch. <laughs> I'm the baroness of the clouds, motherfucker." Uh, and uh, actually, uh, he said it was very difficult to photograph her with her eyes open because she would blink all the time. Like mm. she would blink like the at the saves at Ooh. the same speed that the shutter would blink. Ah. So that was kind funny. Of, it's kind like, of impressive he, he, that she does. I, I, it's very funny, the portion of the interview with him, because he's very... Uh, like, he doesn't give a shit. He's, yeah. uh, 
obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but he still like idolized her. Actually, in the documentary, it's revealed that um one of her biggest uh, sort of admirers was Orson Welles. Ah. And uh, he adapted one of her stories. I think it's called The Dreamers into a feature film. And okay, that's a I thing. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. There and I he go. actually, like, he had, like, four of them in the works and then he died, but whatever. Wow. And he actually traveled to Copenhagen to meet, like, he traveled to Denmark to meet her and arrived in Copenhagen, stayed in a hotel for three days and then went back to America. <laughs> he was like, I don't, I don't really like this place. <laughs> well, they didn't say that. They said, like, because uh, he didn't, like, he had, like, the existential crisis moment. Was like, I don't know why I'm here anymore. It's like, whatever. But, yeah, it, it was probably like, oh, my God, this place smelled like shit. Jesus. I'm hungry. And these people only ate little postai. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's Orson, Orson Welles. He must have Orson Welles only, only eats but... in, like, French restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> do you think a Danish guy went to him when he arrived at the airport and was like, hey, are you that guy from that Paul Masson commercial? <laughs> no, I... Okay, if, if they did, then it's a movie fan who knows that it's a joke and, like, just shat on him. Just did it to, to fuck with him. He was like, oh, shit. Unicron. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that would have been so great. Like, I just imagine Marshall Wells' face is like, uh... Why am I here? Uh, I do a terrible Orson Wells. I just realized. Orson Wells is very deep. It's yeah. like, oh, oh, why am I here? Why am I? Uh, why am I? Here? I don't know. I should. I should work on my Orson Wells. Work on it. We'll see what 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 you got next week. Uh, Join us uh, next week on our Orson watch, where we watch Daniel <laughs> fail at doing an Orson Welles impression. But hey, he's Danish, so he's gonna fail into getting on Game of Thrones. So yeah, even without being able to say a word my, and being dubbed. that was my soap. Yeah, that was my soapbox, and I was like, "Motherfucker, you can't even talk." <laughs> That's like the basic requirement of being an actor. <laughs> Okay, and so you still those, got on Game of Thrones. For those who don't know, Frank Vam, a Danish actor, which we talked about earlier, has a very small cameo. Well, I don't even know if you can call it a cameo. He's in Game of Thrones for An like appearance. a second. Yeah, he is the librarian of the of Old Town, uh, the Citadel, the, the Citadel Library, and he was apparently so terrible at speaking English that he was dubbed for the actual show which if you know what Frank Baum sounds like you totally know he's been dubbed no but it's noticeable like I noticed yeah, yeah. it's totally noticeable well because they because they only have one second of his lips moving and then it cuts to shots of his back or whatever yeah uh, but like <laughs> like so is this is the definition is of this is the definition of I'm not I don't have any problems with him as a person I don't care but this is the definition of falling upwards in life like i yeah. can't talk for shit i can barely act <laughs> i'm on game of thrones <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know is it like this is a total side tangent from like the movie but like i don't think he got any like like better roles out of doing that small thing on game of thrones it's not like he's nikolai costa valdau yeah like, but he got exposure 
did he though? Like, as far as I know, Dude, it was only if I would be wasn't... offered a second on Game of Thrones, I would pay a flight to go to do it. <laughs> Fair enough, but I think it was only Danes that were like, "Wait, is that Frank Vam?" And then they realized that it was him and that he was dubbed. It was like, "Oh my god, that's hilarious!" And then you know, it's not like he went on to Hollywood to do like I don't know Quentin Tarantino movies afterwards. Like, well, no, because he can't. <laughs> no, obviously. Like, he but, went on to do more clone movies, or one more clone movie, I should say. The Was it called The Final Embarrassment? Yeah, uh, something like that. Anyway, doesn't matter. I, Let's go back to the fucking movie. God damn it. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, I wrote a different interpretation of the movie, sort of from the Criterion thing. Okay. So Babette's food acts as a bridge, a bridge between the physical and the spiritual. Because the Lutherans are only focused on the spiritual, they completely ignore the physical. They even have a line at the beginning of the dinner where they say they won't taste the food. You mm-hmm. know, they'll just they'll just ingest it. Um, yeah. So Babette sort of links for them the spiritual and the physical through the food. So and actually, there's a there's a there's a touch that I didn't notice, but the the Lutheran lady, that's a that was supposed to be an opera singer. So she's like yeah. a, an artist also, and Babette. They embrace each other at the end. They hug, in a sort of like understanding of each other. Like oh, I didn't notice that, but then the, somebody in the Criterion thing pointed it out, and I was like, oh yes. Oh. Yeah, like I can I can see that. I I though read the they won't uh, taste it more as a affront to Babette because she's a foreigner. She's a filthy foreigner. No, and, uh, I think it was supposed to be like a like I think that's a doctrine thing. Okay. Because I don't th- at that point they they they're past disliking her as a foreigner. They like her. Mm. They're just uh, like the two ladies are skeptical about the food because they saw the turtle. <laughs> I mean. Turtle nightmares. I, mean, I would be skeptical about that. <laughs> Not really, but I, I would feel kind of weird to eat something that was alive two days ago. I don't know. You eat beef. Yeah, but beef was like that's wasn't alive two days ago. That you know of. Fair enough. Fuck you. Um. Uh. You, okay. You drink I, so milk that <laughs> yeah. was. Done. Anyway. <laughs> oh, shut up. Gabriel Axel. Yes. So this guy was a fun. This is his first. This was his first Danish movie. And he did a couple of them afterwards. And he won an Oscar for it. Well, the, the movie fir- won the, an Oscar. The first Danish movie to win an Oscar. There you go. But the, th- the fun thing is, so he spent a lot of his life in France. So yes. he's a fluent French speaker. And that's why he could collaborate with the lead actress. Because the lead actress doesn't speak Danish. She learned the lines, and that's it. But she did a pretty good job. I would she argue. did pretty good. Yeah. Like uh, in in her interview, she says that uh, Gabriel coached her, mm. right? Like, told her how to pronounce shit and whatever, and actually told her not to focus too much on the pronunciation because in the story she's a foreigner, so she's not gonna have pro- perfect pronunciation yeah. anyway. Like you have in a Alicia Vikander situation where. A foreigner has perfect pronunciation, right? Yeah. You know what I mean. So, uh, I thought that was an interesting thing. He was... So, he tried to make this story happen for quite a while. 
Like he liked this story and then he tried to produce it, Gabriel Axel. But the thing is, he didn't have the quite the most stellar reputation because he only did like essentially snot films in uh, France. Uh, Like, uh, you know, titty flicks where like girls would be (laughs) naked for like half of the movie. Yeah. Okay. It. (laughs) So it's like jump again, failing upwards, (laughs) like jumping from basically porn director. To Oscar-winning <laughs> to, to Academy Award, yeah. I mean, but ac- actually, the reason why the Danish government decided to finally, because he attempted to make it through the Danish government quite a few times, yeah, like to I get think. funding, and yeah. they said no. But then, uh, Out of Africa with Meryl Streep was a huge hit, so and it won a bunch of Oscars, so they were like, okay, Shit. <laughs> we better make some. We need to make some, uh, some, some Ken Blixen stories right away. Well, who's this guy? What does he want? Oh, he directs porn. Ah, fuck it. I don't care. Um, fuck it. He wants to do Babette's feast. Here you go. Money. Here you go. Money. And actually, the the Danish uh, government was opposed making it a uh, the the lead actress foreigner a foreigner. Like okay. they were, they wanted to a royal affair it where they had all the cast be Danish. Ah. And just say this, like, <laughs> have a bet say she's French, right? Mm-hmm. But not have. But then uh, Gabriel Axel insisted on it, and then that's what they did. Well, good on him. Yeah, he's also interviewed for the uh, special edition. Uh, he died in 2013, I believe, unfortunately. Oh, okay. And also, he conducted his interview in French. <laughs> Obviously. Because I think at this point he's a much, I don't know, more, like he lived after the movie, also lived most of his life in France. Ah. Uh, so. Eh. But he spoke but Danish? He spoke, he is Danish. Ah, okay, fair But enough. he moved to France as a young age and then spent most of his life there. Ah, okay, fair enough. And uh, actually, there's like, he talks about a couple of things like, Somebody approached him at one point to do Babette 2. <laughs> okay. I don't know if he's lying. He might be lying because it's pretty outrageous. Like, this, not, this feast, is not sequel to Feast. <laughs> like, this is not a sequel movie. You know, like, this is not a franchise. Can you imagine? You would have had, like, a... Like, at this point, we'd be, we'd be at the second reboot. Yeah. <laughs> where we have like a, I don't know they, they wouldn't cast anybody that wasn't English at this point they would just hire only British people mm. the like who, what's her name Emily Blunt would be Babette yeah there you go <laughs> Emily Blunt would be like ha ha ha, ha. <laughs> Babette's for this time it's personal <laughs> <laughs> the final feast <laughs> <laughs> They'll just go full transformers, transformers oh. in the end, and then we get a like a sort of reboot a sequel thingy about the the guy who says hallelujah all the time. Oh my god, he's gonna get his own movie. Yes, yeah, and gonna get a video game where you need to cook food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, god, oh my god! No. But yeah, overall, let, uh, stop fooling around. Uh, overall. Um, yeah, no, the movie's fantastic. Yeah, like, the movie's great. 
it's beautiful it's amazing i can't recommend it enough it's the best danish movie i've ever seen in my life <laughs> that is would you go that, that high daniel no if i would go that high i don't know i would go pretty high on it like I'm calling your bluff motherfucker what are you gonna do <laughs> damn it no no i would i would actually say it's it's a pretty fantastic movie would i say it's the best danish movie ever made Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Make a strong argument. Uh, yeah, strongest argument. Like, uh, I think the I think the movie is very low key, which it's kind of like yeah. when I talked about that thing in Am, where if you hold yeah. back your punches, when you when you finally deliver that blow, it feels so much more impactful. You know? Yeah. Because like, uh, almost your brain is a. Uh, is trained like, by how not... how movies are structured now, where like the dinner's going on, it's going on, it's going on, and you're kind of like halfway thinking, like, is there gonna be some sort of thing that's gonna happen? You know, mm-hmm. like, is somebody gonna Say is something? a meteorite gonna strike? It's <laughs> 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 gonna have a heart attack in the middle of it, or like, yeah, because it's it's kind of just trucking along, and then you understand why, like by the mm-hmm. end, like it's not it's not even twist, it's just context, yeah. It's beautifully simple yeah it's like this is how you should make a movie instead of bullshit like <laughs> all this other stuff like six underground uh i, I haven't seen it so it might be um, great and you might just be ignorant daniel of high art <laughs> no. no no it's like uh babette feast is essentially like pain pain and gain <laughs> no it's essentially you... the same movie okay. Okay, could you imagine the Michael Bay remake of Babette's Feast? No. <laughs> it's not possible. His brain would collapse. <laughs> like, wait, this is not taking place in Benghazi? And there's not, like, some sort of uh, funny Mexican guy who can't read? I don't understand. I can't cast Ma- Mark Wahlberg? What? <laughs> Mark, he, he's, already, he's already taking steroids for it. What are you talking about? Hey, yo, <laughs> I'm Babette. <laughs> <laughs> oh he's, god he's he's crushing quails between his thighs or some shit <laughs> oh my god because they talk they actually talk in the criterion features about how they skip all the graphic uh, elements of making the dinner like the calf yeah. is already decapitated the quails are already dead the the turtle you know you don't see the turtle being killed or anything you just Cuts no. to soup, right? Like from Living Turtle. Mm. Next time you see it, it's soup. So it's it, turtle it, soup. Yeah, so it skips on the gory details because it, it wants to focus on the beauty of yeah making the dinner. Like it has some, like arguably that thing where it stuffs the the sarcophagus quail thing. I was kind of, yeah. but that's that's the most it it did. Like, yeah. can you imagine, like, like a Michael Bay style thing? We just like see, <laughs> gun down cows. <laughs> oh God! But that chomping heads of quails left and right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's yeah. it's like the restraint of it is, is its power. Yeah. Like, there's a shot I think where. Babette is looking out the window and a little tear. She starts to tear up a bit. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Hmm. 
Mm. Like one one could argue that the first half ish maybe gets a bit boring. I would say. Oh yeah. But then it but then it suddenly peaks in the second half. Even though I don't think the movie actually like it's not like it takes it up a notch or gets oh. more insane or anything. It's just it's just more it just fits better with the tone. It has I don't know. resonance because there you go. feel like something is happening. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not really like a slice of life where you just watch characters do shit. Like I guess that's what slice of life is. But if I, you I would argue this also falls that. in under slice of life. I don't know. It feels a bit higher than that just because it has sort of this larger than life thematic implication. Well, like, slice of life it, can also has thematic I guess, implication. Whatever. You can categorize whatever you want. But I don't care. But like it it has this it's it's so well orchestrated. Like you have the colonel yeah. or the whatever what is he? A general. Yeah. He has the you have the general who acts as your sort of uh He's your conduit into the into the French cuisine because he's familiar with yeah. it. So he, if he validates it, then the other people at the table who are a bunch of filthy peasants <laughs> will validate. They, 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 then they they feel validated by his validation. So they they feel like they can trust the food if he trusts it. Yeah, because you're kind of have, and there is this thing where you kind of go into a dinner thinking that the more I don't, foreign you are to a dinner to to the company at the dinner the more skeptical you or the more it, the more unpredictable you'll be about the food as in if you're a guest like let's say you have a guest from out of town and everybody else mm -hmm. at your dinner is your neighbors yeah you think like oh i don't know what the guy from out of town is into you know you prepared spicy food he might not be into it you know that's yeah. kind of your assumption going into it but it's completely reversed in this. You know, it's it's yeah. a small change of expectation. You know, where he's essentially the smartest man on the table at the table and, you know, mm. conducts everything. It's beautiful. So, overall, yeah, I think this movie is gorgeous. Teared up at it multiple times. Can't recommend it enough. Shall we move on? Yes. Let us okay, move good. On. Let's move on. So, Moving on to the movie I watched this week, which is uh, the Romanian movie Glissando, uh, which, Stephen, I would like you to explain what Glissando means. Uh, sure. Um, so it has a, quite a number of definitions. Uh, I'm not sure what the origin of the word... It's not a Romanian word. I, th I believe it's... Okay, I thought it was Romanian. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Okay. It's uh, I think it's Italian. That makes sense. So uh, the one of the definitions reads as a rapid series of ascending or descending notes on the musical scale. Uh, yeah. So it's basically something that you go in a general sense. It's something that you go in and out of. Yeah. Which makes right? which makes good sense to the movie. So or that you're traveling tangential to, like you're. Yeah. Like you're like you're gliding your fingers through water, kind of thing. Mm. The uh, the translation I have, which is is something like smooth movement along a surface. Sort yeah, of. yeah. There you go. That's there you go. sort of the translation I have. Yeah. So this, that, this, I think it, I have it also here. It's just I have yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah. 
So this movie is from 1982. It is written and directed by Mircea Dan Danieliuk. 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 So just like a small thing. So we don't. So I know like a C in nor in most languages is a is like a soft S. C. We don't like a. A C to us is a is a strong, it's a K. Ah. So it's when you say you don't want to say Mircea, see Mircea, Mircea. And the last Mircea. name, my tongue just goes in circles. Oh so yeah, his, his last name is hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no problem there. It's a Daniel Luke. Yeah. And it's kind of uh, like a thing where his his actual his actual name just goes down and up and down again. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, it's shot by uh, Kalin Dibu, who good. also shot Terminus Paradise. Thought that was worth mentioning. Good, good. Uh, so I'm going to give a small uh, synopsis or a small introduction to the movie before we get into the discussion of it, because it's a, it's a very confusing movie in a way. You know, so the movie stars uh, Stefan Yordache, Dakia, Yordache, Yordache, who uh, plays a young man in in the nineteen thirties, Romania, who is a gambler. He spends his days sort of in casinos and in in sort of these fleeting love affairs, and he is obsessed with a painting, a very specific painting that uh, reminds him of his like long-lost mother. And it's to such an extent that he models his girlfriend, uh, Nina, on this painting. And the movie opens with uh, somebody telling him that his girlfriend has tried to commit suicide and she's in the hospital. And the movie sort of flows in and out, hence the title, of him going through these situations where he's either he's either gambling or he's he's in this like love affair with with Nina and these like dream sequences where things go crazy, <laughs> and and yeah, it sort of flows in and out of of reality to a point where it's it's hard to actually say what is reality what isn't it's very david lynch i was very yeah sort of, yeah, I was I very, about that. yeah until it sort of moves into its final uh its final bit where it sort of tries to reveal itself i don't we can talk about the ending but so uh as of now i won't spoil it um there's also this heavy theme of, you know, the rich or the bourgeois or whatever you want to call it. The bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie uh, being these fakers in a way. Like, we've talked about this idea before that people will try to seem more uh, sort of educated than they are or like finer than they are. We talked about mm -hmm. it in Of Snails and Men. Yeah, this is this is very much also something that sort of comes into play with some of the characters we meet in in the story. Uh, 
there is a particular scene early on where he he's sitting with some friends and they're playing i think they're playing poker but they're playing with matches instead of um it's the yeah it's the romanian version of poker yeah it's the same they're thing. playing yeah. yeah they're playing with matches instead of you know money and there's this guy who wants to wants his daughter to recite a poem and he like Oh my god, I swear to god, I thought he was gonna hit that child because she's just playing in the background. It's like, come over here, come over here, recite that poem. And his, his wife is like, if you do it, I will smack you. And it just becomes this like vulgar, like they start swearing and things like that. Yeah, and it's really very tense, isn't it? Yeah. And he and the main character, Eon, has uh, this long monologue about cheaters and what is. What is an actual cheater versus somebody who just, you know, cheats at cards, for instance? Yeah. And and yeah, it is like the best way I can describe this movie is kind of like a David Lynch movie where it flows in and out of reality to the point where it's really hard to actually figure out what is reality and what isn't. Because at a point I just basically gave up and was like, okay, this is this is all a dream, kind of. And then you get to the ending, and I was like, okay, so is it? Because, so Steven, <laughs> first I want to hear, what did you think of the movie? Um, so I want to say how I actually found out about this movie, because it's not particularly well known. Really? I mean... Which is surprising, because, yeah, but I actually found out from, from, it, from my parents. Uh, okay. Like, I think at the... Must have been either first years of uh, university or late high school, probably first years of university. Uh, I, you know, my parents could tell that I was really into movies and stuff and whatever, mm. and I wanted to discover more about sort of Romanian cinema. I was talking to them about it. It's like, hey, have you ever heard about this movie that got outlawed forever? Uh, ah, okay, yeah. About Mircea Daniluc. It's like, no, I never heard of it. It's like, it's called Guisano. It's like, okay. And then uh, I watched a bit of it, I think, at that point, and... I sort of, I think I just got distracted by something else and then watched it. Mm. But then I, and then I never watched it again, but I always, <laughs> like I had a copy of it on my hard drive for years. Ah. And then I uh, finally watched it and uh, I'm glad that I did. Yeah. There you go. It's uh, So my opinions on the movie are that it's, it's so bizarre to watch it yeah. because if you wa I've I've seen movies from like that were produced in communist times before, and they're yeah. shot very matter of fact. You know, it's okay cinematography. It's usually focused yeah. on it's it's very classic. Uh, you know, shot reverse shot. Uh, you know, cut to expensive stunt or you know effects shot here yeah. and then you know for the one portion of the movie and then the rest of the movie whatever. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. You know, that was that was it. Like you maybe you got a helicopter shot once a movie, right? Mm. Like that one day they rented a helicopter. Uh, yeah. But I thought a lot of the movie was so imaginative in its visuals yeah. that it was like I can't imagine somebody at the time watching it. Like you, you wouldn't perceive it, like because the 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 thing about it is that it was on, in theaters for only three days originally. Uh. Okay. Because it got it got pulled because of censorship, and yeah. the the ironic part about it. So the underlying there's an underlying motif in the movie regarding fascism, 
Yeah. There's even like a poorly disguised swastika in it. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was hilarious. Um, as in, you can't think about it as anything else. It's just a swastika missing like two or three of the end lines. Uh, anyway. Um, I mean, at the end, they basically pull out the full swastika. I don't think it's the. I don't think it's the full swastika. I think it's like a. It's an eagle. It, yeah, it's an eagle. That, yeah, but it, yeah. but it's drawn in those like thick black lines that the swastika exactly. is made of, yeah. and it so, it looks totally like it would fit right at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It looks like a, you know, I don't, I don't want to put a swastika, but this is the closest I can get, kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and the, so the ironic part about it, so there's this underlining motif regarding fascism, hmm. and the censorship groups apparently at the time, from what I understand at least interpreted it as an anti-communist message yeah <laughs> even though like it's funny to me because theoretically from an ideological standpoint fascism and communism are supposed <clears throat> to be the two ends of the spectrum yeah so you you know there's something wrong with your government when you're mistaking one for the other <laughs> yeah although actually uh i was thinking about this because i read up on the movie afterwards and that was when it dawned on me that, wait a minute, this movie was actually made during communism. So, okay. Yeah, 82 communism film in 89. Yeah, so it was so made this was at the height of censorship. Yeah. It was under Ceausescu. It was under the height of censorship. And it kind of then reminded me of Tarkovsky movies because they were also made under communism. Exactly. And, and they contain a, like almost subliminal messaging yeah. about – yeah. But yeah. then I then I was reminded of the the big speech he has early on in the movie where he talks about uh, cheaters and what is a real cheater, and I think he mentions a communist thinker in that. I may be wrong. I didn't write it down for some reason. Oh yes, I don't know either. But yeah, he mentions some figures. You might be right about that. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I remember that. So. Because I I also found a little like blurb that said that it was it was seemed as both anti-fascist, which makes kind of sense, but also anti-communist, and I was like, really? But there's a bunch of stuff in the movie that just I can't imagine would fly under any severe censorship, like drug use. I don't think so. Like no yeah, way. Yeah, it was a good cocaine year. <laughs> it was a good cocaine year for this guy. Like yeah. I I I don't know. Was it? cocaine probably as in was it supposed to be I mean, cocaine or i mean he he goes to that room with the with the old woman where there's the perfume the woman who speaks uh, american or speaks yeah. english which was a I'll very speak david american Lynch, very david lynchian scene yeah uh, yep and he he goes to her like makeup table and he's he finds the perfume but in before that he finds this little glass box that is filled with powder and i was like that's cocaine <laughs> no but i'm thinking like in terms of the historical period would cocaine be a thing in the 30s like was it invented yeah cocaine ex cocaine existed all the way back in like 1901 like, really okay it's in the nick okay. oh yeah right i forgot he's yeah a, he's addicted to cocaine Right. Okay. wasn't then, wasn't outlawed in the U.S. until like 1920 or something. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Okay. With that. Okay. Then that clarifies that. Yeah. Uh, 
like you know you, you couldn't show people do any sort of drugs or because like the whole idea of the movies back then is that they were supposed to be propaganda and they were supposed to yeah. portray like idealistic people not train wreck drug users who don't uh, know if they're in reality or not <laughs> yeah or they were at least not going to go against sort of the public message that was sort of well, at least what tarkovsky was told is as long as you don't go against communism make whatever you want well i imagine their board or their 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 union their, their cinematographers mm -hmm. union i imagine they were in a hard place because one you want to propagate soviet movies as being uh, at the same standard as sort of your imperial imperialist movies so then you want them to be well imperialist i don't is that only americans or is that the western whatever the the, the people that were not communist whatever yeah and uh so you want them to you want your product to be challenging enough to be able to enter into festivals and win awards like this one, mm -hmm. the Venice uh, Golden Lion or something. Yeah. Even though it was shown for only three days in yeah. Romania. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like at the same time, you're going to pull this movie from theaters, but at the same time, you're going to want to let it win a bunch of awards at X festivals. Like, it's a weird yeah. balance, right? Where Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, and I, I, I asked like my parents about this, I think recently when I talked to them, like why didn't some of these people that produced like sort of scandalous content, why weren't they like mm -hmm. uh, shushed more aggressively, let's say, for what mm -hmm. they did is like, and then, oh, my dad explained to me, he's like, well, if you do that, then it creates a fuss, you know? Yeah. So you try to shush them as quietly as possible, as in, I eh, just pull this movie from theaters and leave it at that, you know? that doesn't yeah. create a ruckus like if you all of a sudden i don't know let's say in most extreme cases you kill them right let's say mm. that just creates like uproar right like yeah. that could be the sparks of a revolution right so you don't want that so it's yeah. an interesting balance right but yeah, yeah uh, it's it's quite interesting but then again going back to the movie it is <laughs> I can't imagine being the guy who has, from the censorship bureau who has to look at this and go, is this against communism? Well, it's against something. <laughs> it's against fascism, definitely. I think uh, I, I think it has a message that can apply to both. And that's the problem. Where yeah. there is this... Because the movie is not straightforward in any way, right? So it no. can be really about anything. And you would probably be right <laughs> yeah it in my notes i didn't write that many notes about it because whatever no, me but neither. I, I, for some reason there's not really a movie you can take notes on like what are you going to take notes no. on that is this scene real or not that's half of your notes right there yeah uh but one of the, the notes i wrote down is oh my god this is inland empire all over again yeah exactly <laughs> like if so i think the movie is a bit more simpler than that because inland empires have endless has endless layers upon layers is it is but, inland empire the one with bunnies or the rabbits yes 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 okay um so i think what i think the movie is is um it's definitely a surrealist 
interpretation, right? Yeah. But I think what it is, it's essentially, it's uh, the main characters. It's a manifestation or a, a, a symbolic sort of interpretation of what the main character is actually going through. So you have these scenes, a lot of scenes involving leakage and water, right? Yeah. There's a lot of leaks everywhere. Yeah. Um, and there's water pouring. And sort of this represents him drowning. Like he's drowning in his own in his own vices. Right? He's a yeah, he's his, a degenerate gambler. And his and his like yeah. Obsession with his mom essentially. He wants to fuck his mom. Yeah. Is what the movies <laughs> Yeah. I'll I'll Which, get further into that when you're done. Just keep going. Yeah. So and the so I think these leakage are essentially like time is running out on him for him to actually change. So yeah. Like there's more more and more water pouring and he's going to drown and essentially the um Yorgu character, the 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 yeah. guy that he meets that wants that he wants to buy the other paintings from. Yeah. He's like his saving angel or like his guardian angel cuz he's such a good person, right? He's so yeah inoffensive and so nice to him even though he's kind of a dick like uh, crazy yon is kind of yeah he's kind of crazy and a dick yeah uh, and he also he also maybe possibly cheats at gambling and uh, takes all his money yeah and through that essentially what i think happens is that yon kills his last saving grace like yorgu was there to essentially like he has all these these little things that can get him out of this loop that he has where he constantly is searching mm. for what is essentially his mom, I guess, or something. Yeah. Or some sort of uh, so, paternal figure. More yeah. maternal, I guess. So the main character finds this guy, Yorgo, uh, and he has multiple paintings of the same character as our main character. The Yeah. The painting that, that looked he like his mom. His, yeah, looked like his mom and looks like his girlfriend, also. Yeah. And our main character is like, I want to buy these paintings. Uh, he buys a some books from him and also a like, what is it, a fur collar, like a like a big a fur coat collar. Yeah. No, it's not a full coat. It's like all the collar bit. Oh, it's like a some sort of scarf, like some sort of yeah. fancy scarf. And uh, sort of forces it on his girlfriend and things like that. It's oh boy, uh, it's quite disturbing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite disturbing scene. Uh, and but sort of Yorgo just goes, no, no, that was my great aunt, and you know things like that. He he keeps trying to sort of give him these reasonings for no, this is not your mom. This is your you're crazy, damn it, or something like that. Without actually calling him crazy. Yeah, and it's and he's he's nice to him, even like. Well, he gives him this, these ways out. Like, look, yeah. I have a picture of yeah, my. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go find my picture of her, so you can see that this this delusion is, you know. Yeah, like we can, like he's not even saying it's delusion. Like, look, we can clarify this very easily. We can look yeah. at the picture that these paintings were based on. I have yeah. it. I have it on me, and he just doesn't like. You doesn't even want to see it. Cause he, mm. cause he's, cause he's sick, you know. He's, yeah. he's afraid. It's crazy. Yeah, 
It's actually, I think, probably one of the best scenes in the movie. That one. Well, my favorite scene in the movie is the the, the one where they're they're at the, uh, like he's at the doctor the with the oh, yeah. radiography scene. Yeah. Where it's all red with the with the monitor. I like ah that scene. Mm. And the uh, when he gets scanned, you see the the man and the little girl. That was that was my favorite scene visually, just because it's so different, you know. So throughout the movie, we also get like, outside of what our main character is going through, and outside of his like weird dream sequences, we also get these sequences of old men and water. Which old the, I don't know if this is such a strange choice that the casino that he frequents is half a yeah. casino and half a half. mental asylum. Yeah, slash bathhouse, slash whatever. Yeah. And it's, then... It's, yeah. And then in the end, we see all these, like, old people in, like, the mental asylum clothes or whatever, running down the street in, in like, lockstep to the sound of the doctors just going, like getting them through exercise in the middle of the street whilst there is like banners going down that very much looks like a swastika but is an eagle uh, and that's where sort of the, the sort of anti-Nazi imagery becomes very while clear the, while his guardian angel Yorgu in a coffin is being yeah. driven away yeah <laughs> and, and the car just slams into another car because apparently nobody was driving it and then it just stops and then it keeps going, which I was like, "Did you freeze frame that?" Because if you freeze frame that, that was a really good freeze frame. No, I don't think so. I think they just slammed the car into another car. Yeah, but then afterwards, it keeps going. It stops for like a good half second or something, and then it just keeps going. But I going. think I think they cut away. Maybe, but it was a really well done cut if they did. I I think so. Yeah. And he's I... standing in like he's standing in like a window, looking down on it, and then he he shoots himself. <laughs> And it's like, and his, so Steven, I have, I have to have you clarify something for me. The kid that sure. comes in and starts doing his, I assume his homework in that final scene, that's him. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Like I sudden, I suddenly read it because he finally gets to his, to his girlfriend. We see the scars on her wrist basically. Yeah. And then it's suddenly like he, she's his mom and the child comes in and sits down and does homework and he goes over and touches the child like he's are you real and it's like he's just been hunting he's just been hunting his mom the entire time and that was where it sort of becomes this almost like oedipus complex movie yeah it's like it's like hunting your past like trying to yeah recuperate your past like for some reason like if i'm just gonna speculate a bit like mm. he probably at some point lost touch with his mom or went through something where he became estranged of his mom and that felt like he was his moment where he lost his childhood so he's yeah. like through his addiction he's obviously addicted to like drugs and gambling yeah. so he's trying to go get back to it yeah you know what i don't understand i'm sure there's something in there maybe ah I love puzzle movies like this, like a David Lynch yeah. style movie, but I'm not sure how the Nazi motif fits with everything else. Okay, my my reading of it is 
basically that search for a a past that may or may not be true okay yeah so in in the nazi ideology it's very much the idea of we want to bring whatever country back to this glorious past that once was even though if oh. you actually read for instance nazi germany about the past they wanted them to bring them to it was a past that never existed it was a yeah. fake past it was a nostalgic past yeah yeah a but a a nostalgia for a past that never existed yeah uh oh, and in it. that in that regard that's kind of where i find the final scene where he like meets his his mom and himself is like that's the thing he's looking for he's looking for that past that never truly existed and well, then he looks why, out the window and yeah. sees sort of the the ramifications of that on a grander scale. I oh don't know. Oh my god. Daddy, you figured it out? I just blew your mind. I never thought of shit. Okay. No, it's good. I, I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, it makes as much sense as the rest of the movie, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. The scenes with his friend when he's oh, at yeah. his countryside are so nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah. Cuz he he's a he's also the type of actor that guy uh mm. his, oh, his name is the name of the actor is Ion Fiscutano who plays Alexandru his friend. Mm. Um he he talks so fast. Yeah. Like uh, me as a Romanian I couldn't understand half of what he was saying because yeah. he was talking so fast. Like I couldn't process what he was saying. But he's like one. He, I think that's like the southern way of talking, like the people from mm. the south, from the Wallachian region, if you will. Like that's how they talk. They talk fast and loose, and they mm. they don't pause at all. Like, like you don't even, you're not even sure what words they were supposed to emphasize in their sentences. They just they just blurt it out like blah. Ah, okay. Like that's not per se what they talk like it's just like a stereotype of how they talk like essentially yeah and he was like, like obviously like he was you know he, i think he's more real than other things right yeah but obviously he he doesn't really do anything that supernatural per se but he definitely ignores i guess he he's there to establish that he doesn't experience the things that Yon experiences especially in yeah. the bathhouse scene because uh, they go to yeah. a spa and he's like Where, where's all this water coming from and he doesn't he doesn't even register it like yeah it's like yeah it's definitely like a a sort of juxtaposition between how Yon sees things and how his friend sees it and it's yeah Ooh, and uh, there's an interesting thing there where the I guess the administrator of the bathhouse he gets yeah. bullied by people who look like the from the from, like they look like the people from the asylum I right think they're supposed to be the people yeah from the i think yeah. they're supposed to be the people and they bully him and then he, he drops his glasses which are made out of glass back then yeah and uh somebody picks uh his glasses and he cuts himself in yeah. the hand the same way Yon cuts himself in the end. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, what does this mean? <laughs> I guess it's just like a manifestation of the fear of what's about to come, maybe. Yeah. 
or like I... the or like because when when Yon cuts himself it's like he's watching this this parade almost yeah and he's he's like gliding his his wrist against broken glass, broken glass on a yeah. on a on a window which was really weird but it's kind of like the damage it will take on them that fascism happen i don't know <laughs> just say fascism happens and uh yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably make i thought that the la- the why the the thing where he cuts himself at the end i thought it was like a pinch me i'm dreaming type thing yeah where maybe. if i like uh, like when, especially when he sees his young self he's like yeah. wait what is happening what the fuck like yeah, it's he... almost like like you, so, like there's kind of two types of dream movies there's ones where the 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 your, the the main character the character from which you see the this is aware it's a dream and they're like sort of they're sort of bystanders in it they don't they yeah. don't have any sort of influence so they're just kind of living their life like it was normal but it's all this surreal shit happening around them mm. and there's there's the other ones the usually Dev, David Lynch ones where the the protagonist is a, is aware something is wrong and they're trying to actively fix it. So, like, Yuan knows, like, this is fucked up, I yeah. think. And because, like, especially when he sees his young self. And I think that's when he, like, just breaks. Like, he breaks the window <laughs> with, his, with, his, uh, with, with his elbow, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. I wouldn't do that. It's fucking glass, yeah. dude. Cut yourself. <laughs> but at this well, point, who cares? And uh, I think he just like, like when he, especially when he sees all the marching uh, yeah. fascist imagery. Yeah. He's like, I need to really make sure this is real. <laughs> and then he, yeah. when he realizes this is f- at least for him reality. So he's living a nightmare. Yeah. He kills himself. Yeah. Like he can't live in this. <laughs> But that was like his foregone conclusion in a way. Like, if you keep trying to relive the past, what y- what you'll find was something that you w- won't like, essentially. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, the meeting with what is essentially his mom mm. uh, is kind of underwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like, she just leaves, basically. Yeah. Like there's is... there's that there's the woman who who buys the the painting from Nina and who sort of uh, in the beginning says that uh, his girlfriend doesn't want to see her. Here is the thirty five hundred money to never see her again. And if you come back the next day, it will be it will be less. You know. Yeah. Um, she she's yeah. kind of like a bizarre gatekeeper in a way, is she yeah. not? She's kind of yeah. like her. She's kind of like his devil. Like you have the, you have uh, Yorgu who's like his uh, guardian angel almost. Like he's trying yeah. to keep getting, and she actually keeps finding a way to get him back in. If you think about it, yeah. Because yeah, she no. keeps uh, teasing him about his his mom or whatever his surrogate yeah. mom. And about the paintings, like oh, there's these paintings. Oh, I want to buy them. Then engages him in, uh, yeah, in, uh, in betting on the paintings. You know, yeah. So she's constantly egging him on it, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think this makes sense. Oh, oh my, my god. god. We f- we figured it out. Ugh, somebody called Mitchell, then it looks somebody finally figured out this nonsense. <laughs> then he just says, no, it's not about that. It's about a... Uh... Fuck! It's about <laughs> communism. Ah! Apparently, Fuck. so, it's not very well... Est- I, it doesn't really have to be, but apparently there's an in-universe in reason for why he's uh, experiencing these events, sort of. Okay. Like, the first shot that you see, you see his apartment, right? And yeah. you see him having difficulty getting out of bed, kind of. Uh-huh. Like, he has problems with his spine. So, apparently, the idea, according to some forums that I read, is that he has some sort of spinal disease that was common at the time that would sometimes mm-hmm. result in delusions. Oh, yeah. okay. I could see that. It could be, could be possible, I mean, I like, because or... he keeps complaining about his physical, yeah. you know, he goes to this bizarre echo chamber or whatever that's yeah. supposed to, I don't even know what that thing was supposed to be doing. Like yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's weird. I think if, like, something about atmospheres, like, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm thinking my parents would know what that means. I don't know what it means to be brought up or brought down atmospheres. Does that have something to do with oxygen? I'm thinking. I, I don't know. Maybe pressure, oxygen, maybe. Because he talks to the doctor and he says, "Oh, it's all about atmosphere," and it's like, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe at that time that was like one of those things that was a thought to be a therapy, you know, yeah. like how electroshocks were thought to be th- like therapy for psych psychosis and stuff. Yeah. I I think that might be it. Yeah. I need to ask my parents about it. <laughs> Cause like they go into a chamber that locks in like it's a fucking nu- nuclear bunker. Yeah, or like he's about to be gassed or something. Hey, yeah. Gassed. Oh shit! <laughs> oh my god, this movie's great. <laughs> Always comes back to the to the Nazis. When in doubt. Oh my god, Nazis. that scene where he's going out with his girlfriend and um, the speakers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was actually, I was going to ask you because um, uh, we saw this video on YouTube. Yeah, uh, on CinePub. Indeed. And there is no subtitles for the speakers. I think it's because it's unintelligible. Like, I couldn't okay, understand because what it I, said. I, I wanted to ask you whether or not something was actually intelligible. But it actually reminded me a lot of, have you ever actually heard a speech from Hitler? No, I've probably just excerpts in movies and documentaries and stuff we heard uh, one in school actually when we had history class they brought out a vinyl player and they had an old speech of his on vinyl and it's like 20 minutes but it starts out being you know soft spoken simple like normal conversation basically and then in the end he's like you can understand very little of what he says because he's yelling at the top of his lungs, he's like... Fr- oh, and it's blowing out the microphone, right? Yeah, and that was yeah. the sound that it reminded me of. Huh. Interesting. And then, of course, they fall yeah, down I guess and water that's... comes out of it. And I was like, oh. That's, yeah, I, that scene was, again, so like so nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah. my God, what's, what's happening? It, it's... Uh, it, it, 
captured in a very strange way the way I guess you feel when something is wrong with you. Yeah. You know, like obviously this is all from uh, Yon's perspective. Mm. Which is a very fractious perspective. Yeah, but obviously he knows there's something wrong with him, but he's he's incapable of addressing his own internal issues because he has all these problems, like he's abusive yeah. towards his girlfriend and stuff. And he's very toxic to the people around him, which I think oh, yeah. to an extent he realizes, you know. At least that, at a point, I think he starts realizing it. Yeah, but he can't help himself. Like, obviously, he has some degree of understanding of what he's doing when he's when he's taking all the money away from uh, mm. from Yorgo. But he does it anyway because he can't help himself. Yeah. Because he's uh, sick. Yeah. Ah, ah this movie's great. <laughs> yeah, this movie's suddenly became better. Uh, so, so apparently this movie is part of a sort of a, like a trilogy. Okay. As in, they're not trilogies. Like, I've, what what do you expect a direct sequel to this? Like, get real. Uh, <laughs> get real. But they're like trilogies in the sense that they're thematically similar. Like okay. uh, the movie after this is uh, called Jacob, and it's about yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, then after that, it's the eleventh uh, wish. Like you, okay. like you, the, I, I assume it's a reference to the, uh, you know, you have ten, uh, the ten, uh, the ten wishes, the ten uh, laws from from uh, from God that Mo Moses, ten the ten commandments, yeah. And this is like the eleventh. So, I got a feeling when they were going to do more of this stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a we blast. need to go back to this well. We need to go back to this well. He, like, it's like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know if he got access to drugs back then, but. <laughs> As I said, it was a good cocaine year. It was a good cocaine year. But uh, it's interesting. He's still making movies, but I've never seen any of his movies except this one. Okay. He has yeah. a bunch, but it's interesting. And I've seen uh, that a lot of them are available on uh, Chinepub. I think he sold his rights to them pretty much. Oh, that's neat. As in distribution rights. Yeah. It's very annoying in interviews because he never talks about anything. He just <laughs> he's like David Lynch. Yeah. He's exactly like David Lynch. So we just found the Romanian David Lynch, basically. Like, people... I, I saw an interview with him. There's a, a, a show. I don't know if it's still running in Romania. It's called The Specialists. It's like interviewing uh, famous people in different domains, right? Okay. So a lot of them are actors and directors. And uh, they interviewed him. And um, this was in, like, 2004. Um, and uh, he said, like, oh, famous director, Mircea Daniel. Like, oh, am I famous for my pros? <laughs> He's like, he's acting aloof. Like, nobody knows you for your fucking pros. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's a big slam poetrist afterwards. I don't fucking know. Uh, he writes poetry and, and prose as well, but come on. I mean, yeah. Also, I, I noticed a bizarre coincidence. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but... Uh, he directed a movie in 1995 called The Snail's Senator, starring okay. one of the actors that was in Of Snails and Men. Ah, uh, 
like the guy who nice. played the owner of the of the of oh, the, the factory yeah yeah he's the main character in the snail senator so uh, what the nice. fuck is going on <laughs> it's, uh, that's some thematic casting right there yeah so daniel what do you think overall about this uh interesting well movie <laughs> i i enjoyed it when i watched it but now having actually talked about it i i suddenly like like it a lot more yeah me too that way it's, i'm really glad we talked about it yeah like it's it's weird because like we both like david lynch to a point uh to an extent yeah my breaking point was inland empire <laughs> yeah I think my breaking point was somewhere in Twin Peaks season three. Fair enough, I see that. Because that was my rebound. <laughs> okay, because Twin Peaks season three has a lot of, I would say, ups and downs. And it's, uh, I don't know. It it's has wrong. a lot of it has a lot of three dimensional chess moves in it. <laughs> Indeed, though I actually have thought about going back and rewatching it for some reason. Um, but anyway. yeah, this this very much felt like an easier David Lynch movie, in a sense. Mm. Like not full Inland Empire. Yeah, I I quite enjoyed it. I mm. I I really like talking about it. Like I I really like, uh, like untangling. Yeah. Like it's not like untangling a mess like when you're supposed to when you're trying to figure out what somebody was trying to say but there's nothing there so you're just speculating yeah. on nothing whereas mm. a lot of this is very intentional and very purposeful yeah. so like we're constantly coming up with stuff and then we find things in it and it's like mm. it's it's like a, it's like it's like we're Dolores in the Westworld season 1 <laughs> <laughs> it's like poetry it rhymes it rhymes george lucas <laughs> uh, the, the greatest poet of our generation, George Lucas. <laughs> uh, the, the uh, so yeah, I I I'm really glad I finally watched it. Apparently, yeah. it got delayed four years or three years initially, even 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 when it was released for uh, like three days. It's because they needed like twenty people to watch it to actually figure out if it broke any laws. Like they went to the leader of. Apparently, he had to. Uh, so, uh, uh, apparently, there there was this thing where, so the whole country was a member of the Communist Party, more or less, right? Yeah. Uh, by default, and uh, especially people who worked in cinema were members of the unions that were responsible for the cinema things, and yeah. uh, so you had a uh, what was called a. Uh, it it was it was essentially the same structure as a passport. It was your card, the your party card. It was different from your ID. Mm. It was like a yeah. this was your membership card essentially. Yeah, that was that's mm. the proper word, the membership card. Um, and uh, he was forced to sign to to give his out because he was ousted out of the party because of this mm. movie. Like, wow, they really hated it. Yeah, they really hated him apparently. So I mean, good on him for sticking yeah. it out, and <laughs> like surviving uh, it. Yeah, it, like I, he, he, Jacob, his next movie came out in '88, so I guess 
you know, yeah, at the tail end. So, yeah. But he still had a portion of uh, six years. I mean, I think he 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 got he moved out of the country and then came back after. Sort of. I think that's what he did. That makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, and I'm definitely gonna check out one of more of his interviews. He's a very interesting, interesting fellow. And we are most likely going to watch the next two in this trilogy at some point. Mm, well, I'm thinking, I think we're going to go for a different one. Because apparently, like, I, I want to see some of his more lighter tone, apparently. Okay. There's another movie that, there's another movie that my parents told me about of his. Starring the guy who played the, uh, who played uh, Pavel in uh, Philanthropica. The, ah, yeah. the owner of the business. Yeah. It's called The Conjugal Bed. Ah. Very curious, what? Because uh, uh, he had a supporting part in the uh, Philanthropica, right? A very juicy one, but he's mm. like a very established main actor. Like he was, he, he's a, in a lot of stuff where he's the main actor because he's, he's really good at carrying like very heavy dialogue sequences. Okay. And uh, this is a comedy, so I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, hmm, where is this going? <laughs> So anyway, yeah, but for another yeah. day. So overall, can you recommend this? That's the question. And who who would you recommend this to? Would you recommend this to your Swedish friend who only saw Babette? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, okay. If if any of the thing we things we've talked about with this movie sounds interesting, I would definitely recommend people to go seek it out because it's pretty easy to find it's on youtube you can watch it yeah it's available uh, through the uh, cinepub 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 yeah yeah they're uh, they emailed me back actually they're pretty nice pretty nice oh, guys it's great and like if you if you search it on youtube you find it pretty easily yeah glissando yeah so yeah if it sounds interesting or you're You've just been through all of Twin Peaks and you need something else, go for it. It's a if, surrealist masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. If you're not really that into surrealist pieces, maybe not. If you want like your plot to be straightforward and to make sense, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Pain and gain, then. That one doesn't make sense either. <laughs> I just have to bring it back to pain and gain. Come on. Okay. What's the first line that Mark Wahlberg yells when he's doing the those uh those abdomens? Uh, he's like, "I'm large. I'm I'm big. I'm big. I'm, big. <laughs> I'm hot." Basically, the message of yeah. the movie in a nutshell. Basically, yeah. All right. Shall we move on to what we're gonna do next week? Yes. So, we have been to the past, I think, far enough for this portion, Daniel. Went yeah. all the way to the 80s, going all the way back to the, I think, 17th century. So, yeah. we've gone enough for a while. We're going to go back even further. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't get your uh, panties in a bunch. <laughs> Niggas in a twist. But next week. We're going to do something a bit more contemporaneous, something a bit more hip, more cool, more with it. We're going to do two movies from the year 2010. Yep. We're going to do 
Drum roll. Sure. Uh, <laughs> stop it. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do the Danish movie in a better world, or as as it's known in Danish, I assume it's Haven. Heunen. Heunen. Mm-hmm. Did you pronounce that? Yep. It's an okay. A. Oh shit! It is. So, what does the Danish title mean? It doesn't mean in a uh, better revenge, world. Or, or the revenge. Okay, all right. Because well, because there is an en at the end. That means it's a it's the revenge. It's not oh. just revenge. Okay. So this is a movie from 2010, directed by Suzanne Beer, one of the Suzanne Beer. Mo- Suzanne Beer, yes. uh, mm-hmm. one of the more prominent members of the Dogma 95 movement. So very interesting yes. to see what she brings to the table. Table and also, uh, she also wrote the story, but co-written with Anna's Thomas Jensen. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And, and on she the Romanian won an Academy Award. Oh yes, that's true. She won an Academy Award for this movie. So I'm very curious to watch it. Uh, and on the Romanian side, we have the 2010 movie. If I want to whistle, I whistle. Yep. Directed by Florin Sherban. Written by Catalin Mitulescu, Florin Sherban, and uh, Andrea Valean. So she wrote the play. This is based on a play that was adapted into this movie. Oh, and yeah. actually, I've seen the play many times. <laughs> it's oh. pretty popular. So, uh, Yeah, there you go. Two movies from 2010. The year where we thought, man, things can only get better from there. And boy, how wrong we were. <laughs> oh, boy. Well... We'll continue the decline next week. Next week on Rain. <laughs>